Hi, Greg Perry, the Historic Preservationist. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 84. So uh, today's episode, we're going to talk about uh, those lovely American firebacks and stoveplates. I recently acquired one, um, what appears to be uh, somewhat of local interest, with the uh, salem oak tree on it. Rather rustic condition, but easily rectified. So let's get on with it. So among the most interesting products of the early American iron workers in iron forging and casting constituted one of the earliest of our colonial crafts are the flat plates crudely cast in relief designs, which once served as firebacks and stove plates. Dating from the middle of the 17th century to the end of the 18th, these represent a distinct phase of the early development of American art industries. It is very unfortunate that the names of the artists who created these designs have been lost forever. Through the man- <coughs> Though the manufacturers are, in many cases, unknown, despite their primitive character, these designs are often highly imaginative and not infrequently reveal a fine quality of artistic balance and decorative effect, as well as no little narrative ingenuity. The making of these iron plates was a relatively simple process. The patterns were first carved in wood, and then they were pressed into wet sand, which took the exact imprint of the wood model. Into the mold, thus prepared molten iron was poured. When the metal cooled, the result was a cast iron plate bearing precisely design carved in the wood. A bet with some imperfections and lacking the sharpness of modern casting. To this very roughness and softness of outline, much of the charm of the old plates is due. American iron manufacturing dates back to the founding of the Massachusetts Bay Colony. 300 years ago, about 1630. To repeat a fairly well-known bit of history, one Thomas Hudson of what is now Lynn, Massachusetts, discovered bog iron ore in a marsh near the ford of the Saugus River, just a few miles north of Boston. Presently, a furnace and foundry were erected by Joseph Jenks of Lynn, Charcoal was the fuel used, and, so far as known, the first casting was an iron pot made in about 1642. It was Jenks who, in 1652, is said to have cast the dyes for the famous pine tree shillings. A few years later, what is believed to be the first American fireback, presumably cast by Jenkins of Saugus. Late in the 17th century, bog ore was discovered in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Still later, iron mines were worked. Forges, foundries, and furnaces were established in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland, and elsewhere. By the middle of the 18th century, eastern Pennsylvania had become the center of the iron industry. It was in Pennsylvania where most of the early decorative stove plates were cast, but these were preceded in point of time by firebacks. The fireback, chimneyback, or fireplate 
had been in common use in England, Holland, Flanders, France, and Germany since around the 15th century. In America, the original idea and the general form were at first derived from England rather than from the continent through the later plates found in Pennsylvania, which show distinct German and Dutch influence. Firebacks were in use in England up to the middle of the 18th century, and 17th century examples are often quite elaborate, displaying armorial, pictorial, and conventional designs. The roaring fires maintained in the fireplaces of early days were something of a menace. The mortar in which the surround, surrounding stones or bricks were set in was liable to crumble and fry and permanent and permit the flames to work through them. The iron fireback was employed to protect the both brick and the mortar directly behind the fire, usually a fairly thick decorative piece of cast iron. It stood upright against the masonry at the back of the fireplace. Rarely it was flanked by the two sides. Since the first firebacks cast in this country were apparently produced in New England, they followed English patterns, sometimes plain, but more often ornamented with coats of arms in relief or floral or conventional motives. They were oblong in form, being somewhat taller than wide. The earlier examples usually had the top corners beveled. Later ones are finished with a semicircular cresting, with support devices quite Dutch in character. In many instances, they resemble the gravestones of the period. Most of the American firebacks now in existence were made after 1725, but a few 17th century specimens reputed to be of native production may be seen in Massachusetts museums. One in the old Pickering House in Salem, Mass., bears the initials A-I-E and the date 1660. It is supposed to have been made by Jenks of Sagas for <clears throat> John and Alice Pickering. Many of the American firebacks bore conventional designs, but some were pictorial in character. While it is perhaps fair to assume that their casting was usually accomplished in this country, it does not necessarily follow that the more elaborate and skillfully composed designs were originated here, or that their carved wood patterns were actually locally executed. The, similarly, <clears throat> the similarity between many so-called American firebacks and known examples abroad is so close as to argue that not a few wood patterns were imported from abroad, or perhaps that direct recasts were made from potted cast iron examples. While firebacks from Pennsylvania are far rarer than stove plates. A number of the former actually still survive. They are all 18th century products. One venerable specimen, bearing the initials II in the date 1728, is believed to have been made at the Dorm Furnace for James Logan of Stenton, Pennsylvania. German influence is evident in the ornamentation of most of these Pennsylvania firebacks and of their near relatives, the stoveplate. With the introduction of the stove and the grate after 1740, firebacks began to pass out of fashion. 
although they continue to use have some use throughout the century they were probably manufactured up to the time of the revolution one example made in new york bears the initials at and the date 1767 often confused with a fireback but easily distinguished therefrom is the stoveplate the stoveplate is a slab of cast iron about two feet square and half an inch or more thick if decorated it was once the side end piece of a five plate or six plate stove such as which came into use for heating and cooking in some sections of the country between 1740 and 1760. of these stoves perhaps some little description is desirable in advance of any discussion of their plates the five plate jam stove or wall warmer was a box-like wood-burning affair whose design was borrowed from European sources. Some American stoves of this type may have been made in New York or New Jersey, but the great majority of them must be ascribed to Pennsylvania. They were constructed of five rectangular cast iron plates, clamped together, leaving one side or one end open for the admission of fuel. This open portion might have been connected with a fireplace or an adjoining room, whence the stove could be fed with many hot embers, whose smoke would roll back into the common chimney. In some instances, the stove was thrust directly into the disused fireplace. In this position, its front project, <coughs> projected sufficiently to radiate just the, quite a bit of a genteel heat, nothing, nothing too overbearing. But fueling the contraption from the rear must have been an awkward performance. The five-plate stove is described by Benjamin Franklin as fixed so that you may put the fuel into it from another room or from the outside of the house. Franklin used the term German stove to designate this type of device. The plates forming the front, the sides, and occasionally the top of five-plate stoves were usually ornamentated in relief. Obviously, the five-plate stove presented problems of installation and operation. Hence, about the middle of the century, the six-plate stove was introduced. This apparatus was closed on all sides and was provided with a fuel door, a bottom draft, a smoke pipe, and eventually a small oven. Instead of being almost cubical, like the five-plate stove, the six-plate stove began to assume an oblong shape, its length being greater than its width, so that only the end of the plates were approximately square. When the oven opening intruded upon one of these plates, only one full-sized ornamental stove plate was used. A typical six-plate stove of the latter period consists of plates seven-eighths of an inch thick held together by oblong rods. It stands fairly high on cast iron trestles. The box measures three feet long, two feet high, and a little over a foot wide. The whole contrivance weighs nearly 500 pounds of cast iron. A semicircular flat hearth extends below the fuel door and draft. The smoke hole occurs in the top near the front and a small oven with a door apparatus opens and appears at the side. However, 
It is not the old stoves themselves that interest antiquaries and collectors alike, so much as the decorative plates of which they were constructed. Most of the original stoves have long since been broken up or have fallen apart, but their scattered individual plates have been resurrected from such strange places as drains, culverts, pig pens, chimney tops, and doorsteps. To the late Dr. Henry C. Mercer of Doylestown, Pennsylvania, is due the credit not only for pointing out the artistic merits of these old plates, but also for discovering and preserving dozens of specimens and for unearthing our present information about them. Most of Dr. Mercer's extensive collection has been long logged in the Bucks County Historical Society Museum, but good plates may be found also in the Pennsylvania Museum of Art in Philadelphia, the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York, and the Essex Institute, or what's now called the Essex Peabody Museum, in Salem and elsewhere. As already remarked, the antiquity will find his chief interest in the ornamental designs of the old Pennsylvania plates, cast in relief in the same manner as the firepacks. They have the same softness of line due to time and the process of their making. For the most part, they are highly, fairly elaborate, crude but vigorous, quaintly primitive in type, but imaginative and boldly handsome. Some were pictorial, representing scriptural, legendary, symbolic, or mythological motives. Some bear, <coughs> some bear conventionalized patterns in which the familiar tulip frequently occurs. Often the date of manufacture appears, sometimes the name of the maker or his furnace, and not in, infrequently a legend, a motto, or scriptural quotation, usually in German, though. Of the one conventional patterns uh, that is generally shows up as the most popular shows two round arch panels with a heart in one, one and a tulip in the other. Of the heart and tulip combination, the variations are almost infinite. Another favorite was the Tree of Life, which was later barred for the jams of the Franklin stove. Pictorial subjects may be divided into biblical and secular. The latter include St. George and the Dragon, the Dance of Death, the Wedding, the Wheel of Fortune, the Family Quarrel, the Wedding Dance, and the Prussian Grenadiers. A much larger number, however, are of biblical import, such as Cain and, <coughs> Cain and Abel, the Miracle of Cana, and the Temptation of Joseph, Adam and Eve, the Woman at Samaria, the Ten Commandments, the Golden Calf, to name a few. As had been said, the plates not infrequently bear the name of the manufacturer or his furnace, or even both, together with the date. Thomas Rudder, of the Colebrookdale Furnace in Berks County, appears to have been one of the leading iron founders. Others were Daniel Udry of Oley, Pennsylvania, in the same county, John Potts at the Warwick Furnace in Chester County, Henry William Steigel at Elizabeth Furnace in Lancaster County, and Thomas Maybury 
at Hartford Furnace in Berks County. Other furnaces may have been mentioned were Coventry Furnace, Reading Furnace, Marianne Furnace, Carlisle Ironworks, and the prolific Dorm Furnace. Probably the most famous of the Pennsylvania ironmasters of the latter half of the 18th century was Baron Stiegel, who made a fortune as an iron founder and then went bankrupt in an attempt to make glass. Stiegel came to this country from Germany in 1750, and in 1752 married Elizabeth, daughter of one of the wealthiest ironmasters, Jacob Huber of Bricksville, Lancaster County. In 1757, Stiegel brought the property from his brother-in-law and erected a new and larger works, which he calls Elizabeth Furnace. Here he employed about 75 men. By 1760, he was one of the most prosperous ironmasters in Pennsylvania. He bought a half-interest in the Charming Forge in Berks County, thus swelling the army of his employees to nearly 300. In 1762, he erected his glass house in Mannheim, and though he continued in this iron business, his primary interest shifted to the new industry. The story of his extravagant and flamboyant manner of living and his downfall is too familiar to need repetition here. Stiegel stove plates are rare, but a few have been preserved in private and museum collections. One bearing a date of 1769 carries the words W.H. Stiegel, Elizabeth Furnace. Besides a portrait in a wreath and a Masonic emblem on the lower corners, the portrait is a classic profile in low relief and has been thought to represent either George III or some other major historic or legendary personage. For the most part, however, Stiegel confirmed his designs to variations of the hardened tulip motif with the double arch bearing his name and that of his furnace. As the six-plate stove was developed and elaborated on, acquiring oven and fuel doors and other um, ornamentations began to become so much smaller in size, it eventually acquired ten plates, the extra four constituting an interior oven. To quote Dr. Mercer, the whole construction is that of the six-plate stove, with the exception that an internal rectangular oven is inserted into the stove box. Over the fire, consisting of four thin cast iron plates, fitted with interior channels, and coinciding with the openings of the oven in both sides, so made as to permit the heat of the fire to pass entirely around the oven and to leave the stove through the smoke pipe set in the front end of the top plate. The front plate is perforated with a fuel door below and a small door for cleaning the soot above the oven. The bottom plate has the hearth extension, as in the six-plate stove, and the stove is bolted together generally with three, sometimes five, vertical outside bolts in the fashion of the older stoves. The stove was not an American invention, but had long been known and used throughout Europe. Stoves of this kind continued to use, continued in use for close to a century. They were, in fact, manufactured as late as 1840. American stoves 
usually had oven doors on both sides. With the passing of the years, the ornamental designs of their cast plates became sharper, more mechanical and conventional, less imaginative and less interesting. The oldest and crudest plates from the five-plate stoves are probably the most valuable, but the collector's interest is bound to center more or less on the subject matter and treatment of the decorative design itself. Greg Perry, the historic preservationist, signing off. Thanks, everyone, for listening.